The 51st Psalm, never ever exhausted, so beautiful in its truth and so appropriate for uh, any time, the first Sunday in Lent being especially so, and especially so as we uh, launch today this sermon series uh, on the path of forgiveness. Uh, We're going to be thinking about God's forgiveness of us and how that's the foundation for uh, our forgiveness of one another, our capacity to uh, let go of grudges and all of that, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Psalm 51, and I invite you to stand with me, please, for the reading of Scripture as, uh, as we listen carefully and prayerfully to God's Word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the uh, surprises uh, of my study of this theme of forgiveness the last few months has been the emerging... uh, studies in science uh, related to the theme of forgiveness. In other words, uh, psychologists, neurologists, researchers of all sorts are beginning to map uh, the relationship of forgiveness and uh, what happens to our bodies and uh, what happens to our behavior in other ways. Uh, A researcher at at the University of Notre Dame uh, discovered, and this will not surprise us, that if a person has a view of God as being harsh and judgmental and severe, then that person has more trouble forgiving others and forgiving self. That's pretty obvious, and uh, the other would be true, the opposite would be true, that if a person uh, has a view of God as being merciful and full of grace and full of kindness, then that person, uh, as the longitudinal test uh, revealed, uh, has greater uh, capacity to forgive others and to forgive self. What might be new to us is the, the, this researcher has discovered that people who have a view of God as being kind and merciful and full of grace also have better physical health and mental health in the studies and lower blood pressure among those who have a view of God as being comp- compassionate. Now, I know those of you with high blood pressure are going, oh, great. That's not the point. The point is that uh, as, a, as, a, as a generalization, as a study. And so, the amazing and sort of ironic thing about all this is we cannot get at God's mercy and grace unless we deal honestly with sin. And that's where the 51st Psalm begins. 
the psalmist is very honest about defining sin, and he uses three Hebrew words to define sin, and they are translated into our English as the word transgression, the word iniquity, and the word sin, for lack of a better word, a better synonym. Transgression means, and that's used in verse 1, transgression means to step over the line. It means to be out of bounds. It means to rebel. It means to revolt. It means to say, I know what the right path is, and I'm intentionally stepping onto another path. Pretty obvious. The word iniquity is interesting because it is a Hebrew word that means to take something that was intended for good and to twist it, to gnarl it, to distort it, to take something that God intended for good purposes and then to to pervert it and make it into something that is wrong. Iniquity. And then the third word is sin. And that was a word that was used to describe uh, maybe in an archery contest. You pull back the bow, you let the arrow fly and you just don't have enough on it to allow it to hit its target. And sometimes sin is like that. We have good intentions. Uh, We don't transgress in the sense of an open rebellion. We we wake up that morning planning the very best, but it's just not in us. We we fail. We, We sin. So the thing we need to understand with the psalmist using all three of these words in verses 1 and 2 of the 51st Psalm, he's wanting us to be honest about sin, that that before we can ever think about forgiving other people or other people forgiving us, we have to deal honestly with the reality of sin in our own lives. What sin does to us, what sin does to other people, what sin does to God. And all of life is such a social web and network. What sin does to the environment, what sin does to uh, the social fabric of our lives how sin impacts every area of our lives. And, um, you know, we we almost always want to start when we start thinking about forgiveness, about how people have hurt us. That's where we like to start. But Desmond Tutu has written this uh, beautiful book, The Book of Forgiving, with his daughter, Info. uh, And he reminds us in that book that... um, Yes, we have been hurt by others, but we in turn have done our share of hurting of others. And we've done our share of hurting of God. And sometimes we've done those things without even realizing we've hurt others and God. Remember what Jesus taught us to pray in the model prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's just... That's the very basic prayer of the Christian journey. So once we've dealt honestly with the forgiveness or with the the reality of sin, we we begin to focus on this word confession, which uh, Hannah beautifully introduced to the children and to us, to know that the, the only thing we have left to do when we have sinned is to confess. And notice how honest, brutally honest the psalmist is. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I have sinned. Uh, It doesn't show up in English, but in the Hebrew, there's what's called an intensive uh, pronoun, which means the way the Hebrew grammar is structured, the psalmist is saying, I and I alone have sinned. It's not your fault, God. I 
and I mean me, I've sinned. That's the intensifying thing that, a, that the Hebrew language can do. He, in other words, he's saying, I'm not blaming somebody else, God. I'm not blaming you, God, for putting me in a tough situation. I'm not blaming those around me or society. I'm taking responsibility. Isn't that the root of repentance? Isn't that the heart of confession? By the way, the word confess means to say the same thing. To confess is to say the same thing. So in confession, we're agreeing with God. We're saying the same thing that God already knows. But we need to confess that. And here's a thought. This this is so profound you may want to take notes on it. The three most helpful words in any relationship. Are you ready for this? There you go. You You might want to write that down. Before I knew we were going to have such a huge crowd, I was going to have us say it out loud together. Let's do it anyway. Say it out loud with me. I am sorry. You might try that at home. You might try that at work or at school. And here's a hint. Practice saying it to God, and that will make it easier to say to other people. Or... Practice saying it to other people, and it might make it easier for you to say to God, I am sorry. Those words are powerful. Not I'm sorry, but. Not I'm sorry, if, but I'm sorry. Confession. It's what the psalmist did. And then when confession happens, that honest bearing of the responsibility something beautiful begins to emerge as this psalm is just woven with beautiful images of forgiveness. Uh, Back earlier in January, the the day the Chiefs were putting it on the Houston Texans on uh, on the playoff game, I was at home watching, having a really good time. And since it's Lent, I want to model for you confession. I I want to tell you, this is hard for me to admit, I was eating a hot dog. I know they're not good for you. I know they're full of sodium. But it just felt like a hot dog day. Uh, the Chiefs were winning, and it was fun. So I, I even warmed the bun in the, in the microwave. And I heated up the hot dog, and I put the mustard and the ketchup and the relish. And I was just having a blast watching the Chiefs whoop it on them. And I got so excited one time I looked down, and on my favorite sweater there was a glob of... There's a special color to ketchup, mustard, and relish all mixed together. Have you noticed that? It's very yucky. And I thought, oh, man, that's my favorite sweater. And so, you know, later on I asked Janet, I said, now, is there some stain stick or something that I can put on this? Uh, and she told me where it was. And, and uh, I want to show you what I used because this is, this is an unabashed sales pitch, OxyClean MaxiForce gel stick. But when she told me where it was, being a male and not having that gene, being able to find things, uh, I took that stick and into where she was, and I said, is this what you mean? She said, yes. And I said, because I've learned that if you use the wrong thing on a stain, you can actually make it worse, right? You, you, you can ruin the, the sweater if you use the wrong stuff. And isn't that the way it is when we sin and have a stain in our lives? That sometimes if you do the wrong thing, you can actually make the sin worse. I mean, when we sin and have a stain on our lives, we can make things worse by rationalizing, by making excuses, by blaming other people. 
or by saying it doesn't matter now, I've done so many things wrong, I may as well just, you know, just, just go on or run away from God. We make a lot of mistakes because we use the wrong stain stick and, uh, and, it, and it can make things worse. But it was the right stuff. And I daubed it on there and the sweater got laundered. And you know what? I wore the sweater again yesterday and you would never know where that, where that stain was. And that's what God's forgiveness is to bring us to the point where it's as if we'd never sinned. Isn't that a beautiful image? At the end of verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What a powerful image that the the stain is gone. We're cleansed. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God does. And as I think about forgiveness, whether it's God forgiving us or us forgiving each other, there are, I think, three movements uh, in the forgiveness journey. And uh, here they are. Forgiveness involves, first of all, the removal of debt. Now, this is whether God's forgiving us or we're forgiving one another. There is that sense that we owe God something. And we even use that language about what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he paid the debt and set us free. He paid the ransom. But even when we hurt someone else, we feel like we're in that person's debt. And to be forgiven is to say the debt's paid for. You don't owe me anything. God says, it's grace. You don't owe me. The second movement in forgiveness is removal of stain. It is that the guilt that we feel for that horrible thing we've done. Maybe the debt's been paid, but our conscience is not clear. And forgiveness involves the clearing of conscience. That's why uh, I asked Brooklyn to read this Hebrews 10 scripture because it's so powerful to say that what Old Testament priests could never do, just covering up sin, sprinkling blood on an altar, Jesus, the great priest, came and he didn't just cover up sin, he removed sin. When John the Baptist pointed at Jesus, he didn't say, Behold the Lamb of God who covers up sin. What did he say? He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there is that removal of stain. And then the third part is the restoration of relationship. You know, God might say, Your debt's paid. The stain's gone, but I don't want anything to do with you. You're a miserable human being. But God doesn't do that. God says... I want a relationship with you. Look at verse 8. Wash me, I shall be, I'm sorry, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, when we sin, habitually sin, as God's children When we sin, something happens to our joy and something happens to our assurance. We we grow kind of iffy in our relationship and the joy is sucked out of us and, and, and the psalmist says, I want the relationship restored. God, I want... I want to hear joy and gladness. I want the song back in my heart. I want the relationship with you restored. And that's what we strive for when we forgive one another. And we're going to talk about in the weeks to come that which can happen. And that's that's powerful. I want to warn us about something. Culture likes to talk about forgiving ourselves. 
Stand in the mirror and forgive yourself. And I do agree, forgiving self is important. But you can't start there and you can't end there. It has to have a context. Forgiving self is not enough. A higher court needs to rule on forgiveness. Someone with more authority than me needs to forgive me. And by the way, I've tried, I've tried to forgive myself. I'm a lifetime member in the, in the sin club. How about you? I've tried all the tricks just to forgive myself, absolve myself. doesn't work. God has to do it. And that, that word in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, that word create in the Hebrew is bara, which is the same word used in creation in Genesis. Only God creates. We just move pieces around. Only God creates. He can create a new heart, something that never existed before. So what I'm saying is, we have to experience God's forgiveness, and then we can forgive ourselves, and then we can forgive others. But you can't start with self-forgiveness. You have to start with an understanding that God in Christ loves you so much that he wants to forgive you. And when you experience that deep forgiveness, you'll have the power to forgive others. Here's what's wrong. You can't forgive others until you forgive yourself. And you can't forgive yourself until you experience God's forgiveness. Don't start anywhere else. We can't do it by ourselves. We need what God can do in us and for us and through us. Desmond Tutu tells this great story in his book about a man who was locked in a dungeon. It was awful. And then the man realized the key to the door of the dungeon was was inside with him. All he had to do was take the key and unlock the door. And that's what happens with a lot of us. We live in a prison of guilt and shame and we think that we cannot be forgiven and the key is available to us all the time and it's God's love in Jesus Christ. And what we have to do is come to the place that we acknowledge that the stain of our sin is deep but the forgiveness of God is deeper. And we have to come to the place where we say that the shame in my life and the guilt in my life is loud but the forgiveness of God is louder. The good news of what Jesus Christ has done for me is louder than all of the worst news about the shame in my life and the sin in my life. And that's where forgiveness begins, with what God is doing in us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, open our hearts to the amazing grace that you offer us. And thank you for the powerful, cleansing blood of Jesus Christ who takes away our sins. Amen.